south in the Bible Belt, if you were to go on the square tomorrow and talk, ask 100 people who Jesus is, just about every one of them would tell you something. They'd say, he's a great moral teacher. They'd tell you he was a miracle worker. He was a wandering prophet. He was the founder of Christianity. He's the greatest example of what a human being should be. Some might tell you he's the son of God, the savior of the world, but most of them would tell you something. Not too many people would say, I don't know. I've never heard of him or I don't know who he is. This is what Jesus says about that whole issue in Luke 9. He's talking to his disciples. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets of long ago that has come back to life. But what about you? That's plural. What about y'all? He asked, who do y'all say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. That question that Jesus asked his disciples, the same question he asks us, the most important question, the most central question, the most fundamental question in the universe. Every man, woman, and child has to come to grips with that question. Who do y'all, and then specifically, who do you say that Jesus is? Again, I would say that's the most important question anybody who either has lived, is living, or will live has to grapple with, has to answer. If Jesus is just a great moral teacher, if he's just a wandering prophet, even if he's just a miracle worker or the founder of Christianity, which would most people say is the most uh, significant religion in the history of the world in terms of the number of people and the impact on the world, if that's who he is, if that's all he is, and the question is, who do you say I am? That's just like asking, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? You might feel intensely about chocolate chip cookie dough or pralines and cream or whatever, but it's, it's just you. It's just you and your personal preference and opinion and taste. And you like the Jesus flavor, and I like the Gandhi flavor, or the secular flavor, or the Republican flavor, or the Confucian flavor, or the you know conventional wisdom flavor. There's lots of wisdom, lots of examples, lots of religions, lots of worldviews out there. You just happen to like this particular flavor that you're calling Jesus. If, if that's all he is, if he was just a man, no matter how great no matter how influential, no matter how significant his life was, if that's all he was, then asking who he is is just like asking what's your favorite flavor of ice cream. It doesn't matter to anybody but you. But if he is who Peter says he was, if he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, if that's who Jesus is, then asking who he is is like asking if you want to breathe today. Massive implications. And we have got to come to grips with that. Listen to how Jesus responds to Peter. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell tell this to anyone. We don't have time to talk about that. Jesus didn't want people to know. He didn't want the word getting out that he was the Christ, he was the Messiah, because everyone had an image of who that would be, and he didn't want people kind of railroading him. So we can talk about that another, another day. This is what Jesus said. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day be raised to life. What I want you to see is that Jesus tied his identity to his resurrection. Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior of the world, and what Jesus says is, you're right. And this is how you're going to know that you're right. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die, and in three days after that, I'm going to be raised to life. Those two things are tied together. His resurrection and his identity are close. He does it. He ties them together. There are some of us, some of you maybe, we want to separate. We want to take the wisdom of Jesus or we want to take the politics of Jesus or we want to take the compassion of Jesus and we want to separate that from his resurrection. 
and say, you know, that, that's not where we live. Dead people stay dead. They don't come back to life. Let's just cleave that part off and let's stick to the part of Jesus that we like. I'll take what I want from him. And what he says is you can't do that. Yes, I am the Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior of the world. And the way you'll know that is because I'm going to suffer and then I'm going to die and then in three days I'm going to get out of the tomb. That's absurd. People don't do that. Some people predict their death and sometimes they're right. I don't know anybody that's ever predicted they were going to get up three days later. People who study this say there's been 120 billion people who've ever lived. 119,999,999,999 of them died and stayed dead. One guy didn't. So he says. And if he really did rise from the grave, it's not about what your preference is. It's not about your opinion. It's not about your, per- your personal taste. I don't care what kind of ice cream you like. If he really did rise from the dead, the question is, do you want to breathe? It has massive implications for all of us. It means that he is who he said he was. And if he didn't, then he isn't. And we can move on. He's not a great moral teacher. He's crazy man. There's nothing about him that would commend him to us. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of the accounts of his life, he says, he predicts, he says, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. It was a central part of who he was and what he preached. If he was wrong about that, he could be wrong about anything. If he was right about that, then he's right about everything. Because that's something nobody else has ever done in the history of the world. Now, I know resurrection's tough. Dead people stay dead. That's tough to get your mind around that. Some of you have been in church for a long time. You've been doing Easter for 20 years or 25 years or 50 years or whatever. So for some of us, it's kind of old and crusty. And for some of us, it's not old and crusty. It's nuts. It's absurd. Dead people stay dead. They don't come back to life. And if you're going to say that's the central part of what it means to be a Christian, you might say, I'm out. I can't, I can't do that. I can't get there rationally. I, I can't make the leap that says, if I'm going to believe Jesus is who he said he is, that he's a son of God, that he's a savior of the world. If you're saying in order to believe that, I've got to believe that he was raised from the dead, then I'm out. Because that's just silly. Maybe in 30 3 A.D. in Jerusalem, people could buy that kind of thing. Not in 2009 in Marietta. We know too much. We've seen too much. We've done too much. That stuff just doesn't happen. So I'm going to try to help you get there this morning. Um, This is not an exhaustive look at kind of the the evidence for the resurrection, the foundation for the resurrection, but just a few things I want you to think about. If you want more, I can give you more later. There's tons of good resources. This is just a little bit just to kind of get you thinking, either for you or people you know, who are stuck. This question of who is Jesus, again, I would say, if he is who he said he is, most important question anyone has to answer, it's tied into what you think about the resurrection. You tell me what you think about the resurrection, and I'll tell you what you think about Jesus and how that affects your life. Three things we know for sure. Jesus died. No question that's non-biblical sources will say Jesus was crucified. We know that the Christian church started in Jerusalem in the mid to late 30s A.D., And we know that the first Christians, the guys who kind of got this thing started, said the reason they were doing what they were doing was because they had seen Jesus resurrected from the grave. We know those things. You're in a Christian church listening to a Christian. The Christian faith, it started 
Every movement has a beginning. Christianity is a movement. It began. It began in Jerusalem in the mid-30s A.D. in Jerusalem. Uh, we do know that Jesus died again. That's historically verified. And we know that the guys who started this whole thing said, the reason we're saying what we're saying about Jesus, the reason we're doing what we're doing, is because we've seen him risen from the grave. Now, you can say they were nuts, but you can't say they didn't say it. So those are three things that we know to be true. And so this is my question. If there is no resurrection, how do you explain us? How do you explain me? How do you explain this building that you're sitting in? How do you explain 2,000 years of billions of people who say Jesus was raised from the dead? That The Christian faith is it's reality. It is a reality. The Christian church, drive around. There's lots of them that you can spit at from out our front door. Don't, but you could. <laughs> That's reality. How, where did that come from? The people who started it said it came from the fact that they had seen Jesus three days after he, after he died. So how do, how do you make that work? Were they crazy? Were they telling the truth? Were they hallucinating? What was going on? Here's some options. If you don't want to buy the resurrection, and I can get why you don't want to, but if you don't want to, here's some options for you, and you can try them on for size. One is that what, what was going on then was Jesus was raised spiritually but not physically, and later on the church added the physical resurrection of Jesus to leverage people, to get more power, to kind of keep people under their thumb. So what happened was the disciples, they're devastated after the crucifixion, but then one day kind of the light bulb goes off and they say, you know what? Jesus had a great message of hope and he was wise and he was compassionate and he was loving and that vision can live on if we'll just tell. And so there was this spiritual resurrection where they said, yes, Jesus' message and his character, all of the, they've, they've been raised to life in our hearts and we're going to tell people, we're going to spread this gospel out there. And then later on, the church, in order to um, kind of keep people in their seats, said Jesus physically rose from the dead. If you've got a guy who can beat death, then you pretty much hold the trump card on everything. That's kind of the Da Vinci Code idea and all of those type of um, theories that are out there. Jesus lived in France and he had children and all that kind of stuff with Mary Magdalene. All of that stuff is part of this same Jesus just rose spiritually. Let me read you 1 Corinthians 15. This was written in 55 A.D., about 30 years after Jesus died. For what I received, this is Paul writing, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's a nice way of saying died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. 20 years after Jesus died, you've got this story circulating. Paul said, this is what I received and this is what I'm passing on to you. Guys who study this say 20 years is not enough time for a legend to build up. It's not enough time. Paul is saying, here are the eyewitnesses. Go talk to them. Most of them are still living. If you're telling something that's not true, are you going to name the names of the people who can then say, hey, that's not true? If Jesus was just raised spiritually, this doesn't make any sense, what Paul is saying. He's saying, here are the guys he appeared to. Go talk to them. Talk to them. Here's their names. There's 500 others. Go. Find out. The, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all contain 
stories of Jesus being physically raised from the dead. They were all written within a generation of his death. By 80 AD, they were all written. The first sermons you read in the book of Acts all say Jesus was raised from the dead. You can choose, I can choose not to believe in a physical resurrection. What I can't say is the early church didn't believe in it. Because they did. To say that the later church added that on is like saying a branch at some point decided to grow a trunk. It doesn't work that way. The trunk comes first, and then the branches. The church is a result of this message that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's not the other way around. So again, you can say you don't like it, but you can't say the first Christians didn't believe it. Most people don't really buy into that too much. Second, wrong tomb. Okay, all of the stories in the Gospels about these first people who encountered the empty tomb, it's women, and we know women are unreliable witnesses. We know that it was their emotional it was, they were tired, it was early in the morning, it was dark, they couldn't see, they're grief-stricken, they're running to the tomb, they just make a wrong turn. Women do it all the time. <laughs> wrong turn, right? So they go to this tomb, Mary Magdalene thinks it's where they put Jesus, but it's not. It's just an empty cave, and she jumps to the conclusion that, it's in, that he's risen from the grave, the dead. The tomb is empty. And so that's where this whole thing started. It was just a big mistake. Because these women ran to the wrong place in the middle of the dark. The only problem is we know what tomb he was buried in. It's a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, who was a Jewish leader. We know that's where they put him because that's where they said they put him. That would be like getting married. If somebody said, I buried them in Bill Dunaway's backyard. He's a public figure and everybody knows where he lives. If you want to find out if there's a body, go dig up his backyard. Anybody could have found that tomb. And gone and looked and said, hey... Girls, y'all missed it. It was it, You went the wrong way. Here's the tomb. See, there's the stone. There are the soldiers out in front. The body's still inside. They never did. That one doesn't hold a lot of water. Some say, well, okay. Okay, the tomb was empty, but the reason it was empty is because people stole the body. It happens all the time. Grave robbers, they stole the body. Well, grave robbers wouldn't steal a body. They'd steal the stuff that was worth something. There wasn't a black market for organs in those days. Nobody, corpse wasn't worth anything. You leave the corpse, you take the spices, you take the linens. Except they did the opposite. The corpse is gone, the spices and the linens that are actually worth something are still there. So no grave robbers. Jews wouldn't have stole it. We know from Acts that the Jewish leaders were totally opposed to the Christian message. If, if, if what I said earlier, the first sermons are Jesus has risen from the grave. If you're a Jewish leader and you don't like what's being said and you've stolen the body, all you do is you parade that thing down the street and say, actually, here it is. See, they're all liars. That's what happens. There, throughout history, there have been guys who've said, I'm the Messiah. They've died, and their followers have scattered. This is one time where there's a guy who said, I'm the Messiah. He died, and his followers didn't scatter. They grew. And they grew, and they grew, and they grew, and they underwent intense persecution, and they never gave up the message. If the Jewish leaders had the body, all they have to do is show it. Remember, Christianity started in Jerusalem. Minutes from where Jesus died. Easy to counter that. So maybe the disciples stole it. That makes the most sense. The disciples, they loved Jesus. They thought he was a great guy. They thought he was a Messiah. And then he dies. And so what they do to kind of preserve his legacy is they steal the body. Maybe. The only problem is they didn't really have a lot to gain at that point. When we think of Christianity, you might think of two billion people in the world and churches everywhere and dominant religion in many countries. It was not, literally, it was not, there was no such thing at that point. There was no reason for them to steal the body. Let me read you this. Ten of the eleven disciples 
were killed for their faith. Philip, Andrew, Peter, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, and Simon were all crucified. That's not fun. James was beheaded. Matthew was chopped up with an axe. James was stoned and then clubbed. That's the other James. And Thomas was speared. So you've got 10 of the 11 guys who are left. Judas hung himself. 10 of the 11 that are left all die because they say Jesus rose from the grave. You say, well, people die for a lie all the time. They don't die for a lie that they know is a lie. They die for a lie that they think is true. You think you can find 10 guys who are going to die for something that they know to be false? None of those guys is a weak link. None of them is going to break down when they're getting hung up on a cross, when the sword's about to, the axe is about to fall down on their... No one is going to say, we made it up. It's crazy. Crazy. There's no reason for them to steal the body. Christianity is based on truth. You're going to say these guys that promoted it from the beginning were liars? It goes against everything that they taught. There's nothing there. So maybe not. Maybe the tomb wasn't empty. You know what? Maybe they had a hallucination. They thought they saw Jesus, and that propelled them to do all of the things that they did. And they really believed that they saw him. Only problem with that is you've got, according to Paul, over 500 witnesses. So that's over 500 people having the same dream. Tough. I don't know if you've ever had the exact same dream somebody else did, but that's what's going on here. You've got 500 people having the same dream over the space of about 40 days. The gospel writers go to great lengths to say they physically touched him. He ate, they put their put his hands in the nail holes, all that kind of jazz. But you can just skip all of that and just get back down to there's a, then where's the body? If they just hallucinated, the body's still in the tomb. And we know the tomb's empty. There are Christian shrines throughout the Holy Land. The Church of the Nativity, I think it's called, where Jesus was supposed to be, supposedly was born. And there's, you know, there's a, I think there's a temple on the Mount of Olives where Jesus supposedly ascended into heaven. We got, there's a church there, I mean, there's, we got nothing for where Jesus' tomb is. There's an empty tomb called the Garden Tomb. If Jesus was still in the tomb, they would, there would be something, there'd be a shrine there. There'd be pilgrims there, there'd be people there. If you, there are churches throughout Europe that have little pieces, bones, fingernails, hair, clothes from saints. You think Jesus' bones wouldn't be in a church somewhere? Somebody wouldn't have grabbed onto something? And kept it? We've got none of that stuff. The tomb is empty, so if they hallucinated, just show us the body. And we'll be good. So what some people say is the tomb is empty, and the disciples did see Jesus. He just never really died in the first place. He's fainted. Or something like that. There's a drug, uh, there's a bush that if you took it, it could kind of slow your heart rate, slow your breathing, and maybe that's what they gave him on the cross. If you remember, if you read this story, there's a part where they put a... They stick a sponge and some liquid and give it to him to drink, and he dies right after that. And so maybe they gave him this drug, and it knocked him out. Let's forget the fact that he'd gotten beaten mercilessly by Roman soldiers. Forget the fact that he'd hung on a cross for three hours. Forget the fact that he got stabbed in the side. Forget the fact that he had 70 pounds of spices and linens wrapped around him. Forget the fact that there's a 2,000-pound stone over the mouth of the grave grave and forget also that there are two Roman soldiers guarding the grave and if Jesus gets out they die for that forget all of that and just pretend somehow he gets out of there imagine what he looks like when he shows up to the disciples on Sunday morning does he look like the guy that conquered death he looks like the guy who escaped by this much it doesn't work the 
1 Corinthians 15, we just read, it ends with where, O death, is your victory? Where is your sting? If Jesus looks like he escaped by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin, nobody's saying that. Death still has won. This is from the Journal of the American Medical Association. That's not a Christian publication, in case you're wondering. In March 1986, there was an article that appeared. This is what they said about the crucifixion. Modern medical interpretation of the historical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead when taken down from the cross. He was dead. He was D-E-A-D, dead, dead, dead. The Roman soldiers broke the legs of the two guys next to him because they weren't dead. They didn't break his legs because he was already dead. We could say whatever you want about Rome. They knew when people were alive and they knew when people were dead. They knew. They took the guy, they took him off the cross. He was dead. Absolutely. The people who embalmed him, he was dead. He didn't faint. He didn't swoon. He didn't take some drug that knocked him out. And then he revived to life in the tomb, pushed away a one-ton rock, and beat up two Roman soldiers to get out. He didn't do that. He was dead. And then he rose again. I think it was Sherlock Holmes, I think, said that um, when you've eliminated every, uh, the impossible, whatever is left, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, is the truth. That's kind of where we are. You're sitting in a Christian church listening to a Christian preacher talk about the Christian faith. Christianity happened, and we know exactly when it started. It started in the mid-30s A.D., and it started by a group of guys, a group of Jews, who said, this guy Jesus was dead, and now he's been raised. We know he was dead. We know he died. So were they lying about the raised part? That's up to you. You can say one of those other theories. I would say they don't work. They don't work. It's not necessarily to me a blind leap of faith to say Jesus was raised from the dead. If he is who he says he was, if he's the son of God, you don't think he could beat death? If he couldn't, then he's not God. Death is. But if he did rise from the grave, then he is who he said he was. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. Like we said, death always wins. Dead people stay dead unless one guy didn't. And that one guy is God. And he says, here's the way that death doesn't have to win in your life either. All the way to circle back. That's the guy who's standing at the door and knocking. He's not a great moral teacher. He's not a political revolutionary. He's not the founder of a religion. He's not even a miracle worker or a wandering prophet. He's the son of God, the savior of the world. He's the guy that conquered death, the one that was raised from the dead, the one who walked out of a tomb 2,000 years ago because he won, because he won. And that's the guy that stands at the door of your life and is knocking and saying, are you going to let me in? Are you going to let me in? If your answer is no, why in the world is your answer no? Think about it and just answer it. Just in your own mind, why would you say no to that offer? What is it that would keep you from letting him in to your life? He's the only one that's conquered death. If you want hope, you've got to hook up with him. Why would you say no? I don't want to manipulate you. I'm just asking you the question. 
the most important question you're going to ever answer is, who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? And if your answer is anything other than, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the Savior of the world, why? If he really did rise from the grave, of course he is. That confirms it. That vindicates everything he said. If you don't believe he, he rose from the grave, why? How do you explain all of this without that? Let's pray.